the Sports Career Podcast, episode 284. What attitude do you need to work in the motorsports industry? Sports Achiever and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Grid Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a expert in the sports industry, in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in sponsorship and also in motorsports. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, before I talk about today's podcast special guest, I have some really cool, exciting news. This week, I've launched my new sports industry directory, which has over 500 companies in the sports industry in eight different sectors, such as sports marketing, sport agencies, law firms, NFT companies, and many, many more. So if you want to grab your copy where you can literally, within one click, connect with different companies in the sports industry in one place, go to education to sport forward slash SID to get your copy today. Now, getting back to today's episode, this week's podcast special guest is Tim Sylvie. Tim has a fascinating sports career journey. He is a marketing and sponsorship consultant and the founder of Motormouth.club, which is a website and app which specializes in building a community in the motorsport industry. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Tim as a podcast special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Tim will share his sports career journey and explain to you the attitude you need to pursue a career in the motorsports industry. Tim, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Well, first of all, thanks a lot for having me, Ed. Um, pleasure to be here. So um, my motorsport journey started in 2005, really. At the time, was working in recruitment, left university with n- no real plan and, and fell into recruitment, as I think a lot of people probably do. When I was uh, about a year into that, I was approached by a guy I played cricket with called Jonathan Badansky, who um, back in the day was um, relatively a big fish in the sports sponsorship world. And he had a sports agency called Bodansky Sponsorship Limited, BSL. And uh, he said, do you want to come and do a three-month internship? Just, you know, see what you think of the industry and, and have a crack at it. I was like, yeah, why not? You know, I've got nothing else to do. I'm sort of just doing sales and recruitment. I'll, I'll give it a crack. So went and worked for him for three months. That went quite well. And I, I realized I enjoyed it um, and, uh, and stayed for another few months. And then a few months turned into a, a few years and went through the process, ended up staying there for about six years and worked on things like Panasonic's sponsorship of the then Toyota Formula One team and and then through to the Lexus and Toyota, well, Lexus's sponsorship of the British Open Golf Championship, various other sports sponsorships, um, and then went out to the Middle East to start a new office with BSL um, to work at the racetrack out there, the Formula One track at Yasmarina Marina Circuit, and, and left in 2012 as a, as a uh, shareholder and director, so sort of worked my way up across those six years, and and ended up in a, in quite a good spot. But but got to the point where I thought, why am I doing this for someone else when, you know, making them a lot of money when I could perhaps do it for myself? So left in 2012, 
came back to the UK where I, uh, following the Middle East stint and then set up a company called Sylvie Sports, which I still have today, which is basically a limited company that I used to do a lot of my consultancy work through. Um, again, all in sports and sports sponsorship and, and brand stuff. Got lucky with a gig at the London Olympics in 2012 and, and hired about 50 staff for a big operation at the Olympics, which was completely unexpected. Right in at the deep end, um, didn't know what I was doing. Um, followed that up with the Winter Olympics and then it went on from there really. And, and then random turn of events started managing racing drivers uh, through that period. So I managed uh, drivers from Formula One down to Formula Three and Formula Four and junior categories. And one of them being Jamie Chadwick, who's gone on to good, good and great things in W Series and, and female motorsport. In more recent history, um, I do a lot of consultancy with a company called Right Formula Sports Marketing, who, who um, work with big global brands in Formula One and Formula E and other sports. So I work with a lot of Formula E sponsors and Formula One sponsors to activate their, their Marcoms plans. Then other things, Motormouth, which I'm sure we'll come on to, um, network and uh, community, I suppose, that, that Motormouth is building. And, uh, and randomly have a mobile bar business with, with a few friends that, that we do weddings and all sorts of parties with. So yeah, sort of whistle-stop tour of the last 15 years, basically. Wow, what a reply. I've got to decode this a bit. And so I think the listeners would like as well. Um, okay, you only mentioned it very briefly, but I think this is important. I know you said you went to university, but you actually did a hospitality management degree, which when you've just shared your 15 years, it's relevant to some sort of just having. So I'm just curious to anybody who's studying that, looking back, how has that supported you now? Because you only mentioned it very brief, but I think hospitality and sport big you know and it's relevant so i'd love your thoughts on that please so i don't want to put anybody off but uh for me personally it has had almost zero impact bar one major moment so i have i was never a great student so that's probably why i say that i think i think there's obviously value in getting degrees or hnds or you know whatever it is that you're studying there's obviously a value in that for certain industries um, i was never a great student i'm not the biggest advocate of um uh, the education system in the UK. Um, and for me, I found it, uh, it cost me a lot of money that I had to repay for a number of years. I didn't feel I learned an awful lot. The, the biggest thing for me out of that whole experience is when I was sent on my uh, industry placement year to the States and I worked for um, uh, Lowe's, which was the company that owned a number of big hotels in Orlando, in Florida. They owned uh, the Hard Rock, um, Portofino Bay, uh, one or two others in that area. And I, I was the event manager at the um, Portofino Bay Hotel in, in Orlando. And that was the biggest moment for me throughout my education because I suddenly realized that I could learn far, far quicker and, and earn money rather than spend money by joining the workplace. So I came back and quickly left university, didn't finish uh, the, the course um, and went and decided to fall into a graduate scheme in recruitment. But I, I, how I got onto that graduate scheme to this day, I don't really know because I wasn't a graduate technically. But um, so, so for me, I, I think personally, it didn't, didn't affect me in the slightest. If anything, it put me back a couple of years because I could have been spending those years working, but I can see the value in it for, for other people and different personalities it, it would fit for. But for me, it, it, it was, it was certainly wouldn't, it didn't impact my career. So with regards to what did impact without a doubt was BSL with that three month internship, because 
for me, I just want to paint the picture with education. There's that theory, knowledge and practical. And without a doubt, you just said practical experience for you, you know, was more relevant. And also it, it created opportunity. So when you got that three months, how was that more of a breakthrough going, OK, I had to make this count with regards to wherever that path would lead, because we're going to dig deep now because I, I admire like how you've grown within that six periods there and how you worked up. But I just, for somebody listening, going, okay, those three months, why are they important? Because everybody talks about internships, but I think I, I did some free and without a doubt, looking back, I'm glad I did because it gave me a chance to see where I wanted to be, then getting that paid job straight away without knowing real clarity. So I'm going to go back now, those three months, how significant were they looking back now to where you currently are now in, in regards to that experience? They were important for sure. And, and I think um, at the time, I definitely wasn't thinking I need to work really hard to get through these three months to get a full time job. What I do remember really clearly was thinking I want to be better than any, anybody else in this office at doing this particular job. So I, I remember staying later than everyone else, starting earlier, working through my lunch breaks, doing everything I can to impress the people around me and learn from the people around me and, and hopefully overtake them. So I, I, re I distinctly remember that feeling of, I like this world, I enjoy this industry, but I want, to, I want to go far in it and I want to be better than anyone else. But it, it, wasn't, it definitely wasn't a mindset of, oh God, I've got three months to make my mark. That didn't even enter my brain. It, it was literally just, and I've kept this, I think I've kept this to this day, that I, I want to be the best at everything I do within reason. I mean, I, 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 I know there's still loads I can learn but I will always strive to be better. And I remember that moment. So I can almost remember where, well, I can remember where I was sat, who I was sat next to at the time. I remember her saying things to me with her six, seven years of experience in my two months and thinking, no, that's, I, I, I don't want to do it that way. I've, I think there's a better way. So that was a really important part of my career. And looking back at it now, I, I, I'm quite pleased with my 20, or however old I was, 20 something. Um, self to to have that kind of attitude and and I admire that about my past self if you like like that I had that I had that in me and I think it was just something that was there and present and, and is in some people and drove me forwards okay and I want to dig deep on this bit because this isn't talked enough about that transition from okay internship you said you're building that belief but you knew you should be employed because I think a lot of people don't have the courage going actually I am ready I've done some reps given, you know, added value to a company in an internship or placement perspective. Can you remember the moment when you knew you deserved like a, a fixed position? Um, probably after I got over the fear of not knowing what I was talking about, because there, there was that point, And I remember this now working with people who, uh, you know, their first job out of uni or their first job out of college or, you know, interns that, there's that I remember that awful feeling of someone saying something that sounds really simple and thinking, I don't know what they're talking about. So I, I think after I got to grips with the jargon and um, some of the um, marketing um, nuances and, you know, speak and language, then uh, I got to grips with that. I felt like, OK, I, I sort of feel comfortable here. And, and probably after, I don't know, a month, I probably felt like oh, I, you know, I belong here. I don't feel like out of place. Um, and, and I feel like I can, uh, you know, th this warrants me continuing um but like i say even though that that really wasn't part of my my mindset you know it was more just get on and and be a success be a success this, this job 
And also you said your eyes sparked up when you said, I enjoyed this with regards to sponsorship. So where did your real interest of sponsorship develop? Not just the current work you're doing, but as an actual topic or actually as a skill of transaction in the sports industry, because we'll talk on it later in the motorsport industry, but it's massive. It's one of the biggest revenue streams. So when did you realize, actually, I enjoy this topic sponsorship, but I knew I had to master it from a knowledge perspective, but also practical experience with clients. I'd love your thoughts on that, please. So there's there's two moments I can pinpoint. The first was 2000. So I started with BSL in 2005. The first moment that it hit me was 2007 when uh, Jonathan took me to a meeting with a lady called Isabel Connor, who at the time was um, the CMO at um, uh, ING Bank. And they were just about to do a deal with um, the Renault Formula One team. Quite a big deal. Um, I don't know what the value was, probably 70, 70 million a year back in the days of the, the, you know, the big sponsorships. And uh, I sat in a meeting with her with two years experience and was sort of, sort of blown away by her and, ha- and her knowledge and power. Like she is a incredible woman. She, she's a powerhouse of a marketer and a very strong uh, female leader. She's now at Gener- Generali, I think. Um, but I sat in that meeting and I was sort of like, wow, like th- this is serious. We're talking big numbers here. We're talking big activations. And that was one moment where I thought, okay, this, this is pretty cool. Like this isn't just marketing and sponsorship. This is negotiation and business and commercial. And, you know, that really got me going uh, and quite fired up. And then, and then probably the second moment similar to that is, is really recent history, probably in the last few years when sponsorship has moved and probably sped up by the whole pandemic, but, sponsorship has moved from just a badge on a car or on a football shirt to a much more complicated beast um, with everything from, you know, hospitality through to sustainability and, you know, climate change and, you know, CSR and local community engagement and authentic content over, you know, salesy corporate content. And, and that has only really transitioned in the last, uh, you know, last five years, um, maybe a bit longer, five to 10 years, but that, that really was another moment for me where I, I got a renewed uh, enthusiasm for the industry. I need to touch on one thing in the moment, what you said, and I think this is so important because I'm going to relate to this as well. Like how much learning can you learn when you're in that meeting environment? For example, I had a meeting with Microsoft and it gave me an insight of how they work, how they talk. And you feel like, wow, okay, this is serious. Like you said, like looking back and for the listeners, how beneficial is this to be in the room? You can just learn so much by just listening to how, like you said, it fired you up because we're talking big money, big negotiations, but you know it was going to lead to a big end result with purpose. So I just want you to share that side of things of the benefits of just getting in that meeting room. Yeah, no, it's, it's really important and surrounding yourself and, and creating those opportunities where you're, you're sat with um, interesting, um, powerful people or thought leaders um, I think there's there's a load of um, there's a, there's some there's some of the opposite as well where you sit there and think you know even with a far less experience think, these these people don't know what they're talking about but there's there's obviously occasions where you're, you're sat in the room with a certain individual who who really blows you away and 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 you can learn from um, and you know I'm sure we'll come on to things like networking but you know there's there's plenty of people I've met um, in meeting room scenarios who could be a client or a supplier or whatever they might be that that you can follow up with and spend time with outside of the the, the room whether they're a client or not and, and you know learn and absorb some of their knowledge when when you find people who who have impact 
Um, so yeah, I think it's you know getting yourself into those situations as scary as they seem when you're coming up through your career is is hugely important. Not to state the obvious with this question to you, but how important is it just to listen more than talk when you're in those moments with those thought leaders? Really important, and and to listen and be conscious in the moment. And it's it's so easy to um, you know open a laptop or look at your emails or you know do something else when you should be just listening because the life is so busy and there's there's so much pressure to to keep spinning plates. But you, if you're present in the moment um, and and you're in the uh, the presence of someone who has been there and done it or, or is exceptionally good in their in their world then yeah you know listen take it all in um and then and then take that information and, and do what you will with it you know some of it is relevant some of it isn't um you know it's like when you read a book and you, you take certain bits that you think are useful and others you can dis- disregard very important to sometimes just keep your mouth shut and you don't have to talk you know okay now before we talk about today's podcast topic, i just want your relating to your 15 years like what have you learned the most with regards to skill sets of working in sponsorship, just for the listeners listening in that sponsorship is like the umbrella and it can be applied in different sports from a practical standpoint. So would you mind just sharing some core cool skills that have supported you in this sector of the sports industry? There are certain skills which are valuable in my world. Um, one of them is certainly organisation. And um, uh, I didn't realise um, that I had organization in me because my personal life is, is chaos. You know, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow, um, you know, let alone in a week's time or anything like that. So in work, um, you, you, because you, especially my side, which tends to be more on the agency side of things, um, you often have three, four, five clients on the go at one time, um, all with their own objectives and KPIs and um, all with their own um, expectations of your you and your time. Um, so having the ability to, to spin plates and keep organized and not lose your head um, is difficult. And, I, and it's very easy to, to, to crack under that pressure um, so I think a certain amount of resilience and organization and obviously knowledge helps, but I, I think, you know, the knowledge you can, you can teach, but if you, if you can have certain personality traits and, and you do need thick skin sometimes being, especially agency side, you know, you're often fighting fires. You're the first they go to if something goes wrong and, uh, and you have to act as a mediator. And, um, I think if you've got that resilience, thick skin, work ethic there's no reason why you can't succeed um but also i think it's important not to do it because it's sport because i think a lot of people like especially in my world in formula one everyone's like i just i just want to work in f1 travel the world you know all this kind of stuff and you you, you, that is part of it and you can have loads of fun doing it but it's, it's it's not just for for instagram you know it's it's hard work we'll touch on that shortly but i want to tap into what you said organize do you mean because I think it's a controllable that we can control. Do you mean like planning? Do you mean time management? Can we just, t- I know it's state of the obvious what I'm saying here, but sometimes it's these foundations that make the difference of actually working in this industry or not to some extent. So could you just touch on what you mean organization, like specifically from a tactics perspective? I think it is literally organizing your week. Um, and, um, you know, whether you do that on paper or you do it through, um, you know, something like Monday or, or, you know, some other Asana or some sort of software online that helps you organize your, your day and your week, that organization and, and making sure that you know what you're doing and when, and you've got your day mapped out as best you can is so important because it, it's, it's so easy for the wheels to come off when you're moving at such speed. 
you know, if, if you've got five clients that all expect 50% of your time all of the time and, and um, you need to find ways to make sure that they're all serviced um, as best as they can be, it, it is, it's vitally important to, to stay on top of your to-do list. And I'm sure everyone has their own ways of, of tracking their to-do list. And I sort of flip between different systems. And, you know, so at the moment I'm using pen and paper system, but, it, but I spent a long time um, using tasks on Microsoft Teams and then I tried Asana before that. I, I use Monday a lot. I love Monday um, as a project planning tool. But yeah, vitally important to, to, just to, to, to have that ability to, to juggle multiple work streams and projects all at one time. I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's finding the method that works for you. And by the way, everybody who's listening, all those links of those tools will be on the show notes. Again, I have to mention this because it, it lit me up when you said uh, 2012, you had that unexpected project with regards to the London Olympics. Could, could we just have a little snapshot on that side? Because I love when people are outside their comfort zone. You said, I didn't know what I was doing. So could we just tackle in that? Because again, if people learn this, that some projects, some opportunities we ain't prepared for, but we'll figure it out within the project. I love, your, I love you to share that in a bit more detail, but what you learned the most as well during that period of time. So that was a weird one. So I, I, it was so 2012 came. I, I think I left the Middle East in January and came home to London and then sat in a room and thought, right, Sylvie Sports, cool, got a logo, got a website. What what do I do next? And was sort of shuffling around trying to you know talk to different brands about sponsorship. And then I, a guy I worked with in the Middle East who was doing some consultancy for um, Locog phoned and said, we we need about 50 staff to start like in the next two weeks, be trained up and then manage a bunch of sponsors um, and their logistics for the next six months leading up to the games. Can you help? And I was thinking, no, I, de- I definitely can't help. I don't know who, I don't know. No, I don't know what to do with that. Um, so I said, yes, uh, let's, let's do it. And um, he was like, cool. Um, so we met up and we, we met up in uh, Canary Wharf because there was a, an Olympic office there. And um, we had a chat and we, we talked about um, contracts and, you know, due diligence, all these bits and pieces that we need to go through to get us onboarded as a supplier. And then provide the staff, which I had to suddenly magic out of nowhere, um, train up and then put on to um, all these different operations all over London. Um, but within two weeks, we'd somehow scrambled together a team of about 50. We put them all on a contract, sold them into the client at different uh, rates, depending on experience and what they were doing as a, as a, as a job at, at the Olympics. And then we spent the next six months just managing that, um, that process. And that, it was chaos. I mean, they were working a lot of them 18, 20 hour days with very little sleep for six months. Nobody quit, unbelievably, it was huge stress levels. Um, we took them out, got them boozed in London every couple of weeks and had a nice time um, and, and made some money out of it, um, made, some mis- made some mistakes, but just learned on the go um, and just by saying yes, really. And, and that was really good grounding because it, it you know, taught me about cash flow and suddenly had to be VAT registered and needed an accountant. And, you know, all these things came thick and fast, but it, it was a great, um, it was a great learning experience. Um, not one I'd necessarily want to repeat because it was a hugely stressful six months. Um, but um, in order to get the, the, the consultancy side of things going and, and learn how to manage a team um, of, of young people who 
um, didn't know each other and were suddenly thrust together for six intense months. It was it was a great experience. I read a great quote recently, Tim, from a guy called Tim Ferriss, who said experiences are like experiments. Now, looking from that, how was that like an experiment? So when you do projects now and you're similar, I say stress, but maybe similar like busy schedule. How does that example be for you going, okay, I've been here before 2012. It's a good way of having a memory where you can relate it to. So like you said, you can overcome any mistakes if it was going to lead to a mistake. Sorry, going deep on this example, because I think you could people can learn so much from what you've just said just then. Tim Ferriss has a, a great podcast. I love that, by the way. Um, it's, a, it's a funny one that Tim Ferriss and, and uh, Lewis Howes and others who, who produce these um, North American-based um, podcasts that, that a lot of British people hate because they're, they're classic American kind of like feel-good positivity good attitude and stuff which i'm all on board with so um, so so lewis, lewis hells was my first of a podcast i listened to with gld john lee dumas so yeah so good we're on the same yeah. wavelengths <laughs> um so yeah no it's definitely helped with with future work um that has been similar or, or you know has some of those traits of that that event um and it's it, it yeah it, it definitely helps all, all these moments that you do uh, another one was going out to the middle east and, and doing when I first started out there, I did. I started sort of not knowing at all what I was doing, and had to very quickly pick it up and, you know, work with the CEO of the circuit and and various other stakeholders who knew exactly what they were doing, and I had no idea. And you just have to go with it. And and if you if you're if you go with it and you you have that kind of attitude where you can kind of roll with the punches and learn as you go along, gain that experience, and it it certainly helps. And it, it's you know, fifteen years down the line all those experiences have, have made a massive contribution to my daily life now because I feel very comfortable in, in, in the environment environment I'm in now. And um, again, only in recent history, I've probably felt comfortable and feel like now I'm in a position where there's, there's not, an, there's not too much that can be thrown at me that will make me really panic now because I've, I've had those traumatic, <laughs> but learning experiences in the past um, so it all contributes to, uh, I think, the, the hopefully the well-rounded business person that you become. Absolutely. And I want to now talk about today's podcast topic because you mentioned it earlier with people who work in F1. But in your opinion, like what attitude do you need to have to work in the motorsport industry? Like what would those sort of attitude traits you really need? Overall, um, it sounds obvious, but having a good attitude helps, you know, a positive um you know, going back to the Tim Ferriss stuff, you know, positive mindset and um, uh, not listening to negativity. And one of the things, I mean, podcasts, I've said it before, definitely changed my life. And people like Tim Ferriss and, and Lewis Howes and others similar to them, 100% changed my way of thinking because they talk a lot about mindset and attitude and um, not listening to outside voices, but listening to your inner voice. And that's what matters and not, not letting negativity get in. So I think having that sort of can-do uh, positive attitude and for me that attitude includes not allowing negativity in I, I literally ban it for my life and if I meet negative people I uh, I dismiss them pretty quickly I can't be doing with it I just think life's far too short to have negativity in it unless it's it's you know you can have empathy and you can have down moments but just downright negativity I've got no time for so um, I'll happily accept critique on anything I've done with my work or personal life I happily accept that but if it's negativity for the sake of being negative and I know plenty of people like that 
I've got no time for it. Um, I've got no time for people squashing your dreams or, you know, telling you should stick with the status quo. So I think number one would be that sort of, you know, go get them kind of attitude. Uh, another one I think is being proactive, especially in this industry, um, you know, being one step ahead of the client, being proactive the entire time, thinking out of the box, thinking about how you might make some incremental revenue or make life better for the client in a certain way or surprise and delight them or do 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 something that they haven't thought of yet because that you're one step ahead. So, you know, that proactivity and um, that extends into, I think, learning, um, uh, being proactive with your own learning in your industry. I, I absorb podcasts all the time, much more so than books. I'm not really a reader, although I'm reading a book at the moment about the science of behind a racing driver's brain, which is quite interesting, but I have to really focus to, to read. Um, whereas I can listen to podcasts and absorb that. So I, so I think, learn, and there's a podcast about everything. So in my industry, sports sponsorship, there's tons of podcasts out there that you can learn from. Um, so I do a lot of learning off my own back and be proactive in that sense. I'm also, I enjoy case studies and, you know, blogs about short form reading that I can digest easily about the industry. So I think you can, you can be proactive. And, and the final thing I think would be um, confidence. And, and that is, you know, it's not something that everybody has, but you can, you can obtain it. I wasn't confident when I started, but I, I, I've grown to be confident around people and um, that confidence trait has helped me in terms of networking and creating new business opportunities and reaching out to new people in the industry um, you know, up to whatever level and then using that, extending it further into things like LinkedIn, where we, we connected, you know, I'm an absolute link, talk to everybody on LinkedIn all the time, but I find it such a valuable tool, but, but networking in person as well and having the confidence to go out there. So I suppose three things that I would say that, that sort of come out of my mind now would be attitude, proactiveness and confidence. Confidence is vital. I always say, even to myself, I have to protect it. And protecting it means relates to your first point, avoiding the negativity and vibes. I love criticism, by the way. I actually improve, I don't mind criticism it's, if it's constructive. But look, just from a sort of Formula One perspective, because everybody, when they want to think of motorsport, they go, I want to work with Formula One, I want to work with Red Bull, Mercedes. And it's like, whoa, hold on. Maybe it's just, you know, like anything, get your foot in the door of lower league. Like, tell me if I'm wrong here, but it's like working at a premier league football team they see that big golden carrot and i just love your perspective of going hold on you know you may be a motorsport fan but it doesn't mean you're going to be a great motorsport sport industry professional so i would love to tap in on this because i'm not about squashing people's dreams it's just understanding how the industry works but also being mindful that you may you know be in a different motorsport division or different sport but then it could catapult you into you know Formula One itself and being part of that exciting format. So I'd just love your thoughts on that, please, because I think that's really vital not to get people carried away of the reality of this industry. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people want to work in Formula One. I get it because it is fun and it's glamorous and exciting, but there are so many other sports that you can work in that, that you can gain better or equal or better experience in. You know, it doesn't have to be Formula One. And there are there's there's plenty of people who are in Formula One who are just in there because they get to walk around the paddock and you know show off to their pals for others it's it's a lifelong dream and and there are people who um actually there's a girl georgina yeomans who who did some work for us at motormouth last year she she's doing it for the right reasons you know she she started she she knew she wanted to be in in motorsport she knew she wanted to get to formula one from day dot and it wasn't about the glamour or anything she just wanted to be in the communications department of a formula one team and she's just got a job at mclaren she's done it for all the right reasons but i think there's a plenty of people that 
I've worked with over the years who've done it for the wrong reasons. And they're very happy to go to Monaco and stand on a boat and talk to um, a client. But when it comes to actually creating proper marketing content, um, you know, the sport almost becomes slightly irrelevant. You know, it's, it, if, if you've got a, an objective to fulfill for a brand that is associated with whatever sport, you know, Formula One doesn't matter. I mean, it's, there are other sports that suit giant brands just as well if not better than formula one for whatever reasons that um, that you can have a brilliant time in and, and activate some amazing partnerships i mean i'm doing some work in rugby at the moment and, and and it's it's a breath of fresh air to be doing stuff in rugby and cricket that i haven't really done an awful lot in and you suddenly realize that you know formula one isn't the be all and end all and there are there are other sports that you can do amazing activities in um and, and you're not so constrained by the, the close nature of, of um, certain Formula One partnerships. Can we just tap in and put me on the spot now? What did you mean with that phrase, do it for the right reasons? I get what you mean, but just for somebody listening, going, okay, what's that checklist of, you know, working in a certain sport for the right reasons that may aspire them because they enjoy it? Well, I can only speak from my experience. And of course, I, I've only I've been a Formula One fan forever. I love Formula One. I think it's amazing. And and I'm fortunate to work in that world. Um, but um, I did it for the love of um, business and marketing um, and commercial uh, and the commercial side of the sport. Um, that was my driver. The fact that it ended up being in Formula One or whatever motorsport um, was just a byproduct. Um, so, I, so I do it for the love of the business, not for the love of what's happening on the racetrack. Um, you know, quite often I don't even see the race. You know, I, I, you just go airport, hotel, five minutes at the track, hotel, airport, and and you know you deal with a whole load of stuff in between um, that's nothing to do with motorsport. So it's, it, I think the for me personally, the right reasons were doing it because of the love of business, um, and and this I, I think the industry that I work in is, is quite entrepreneurial is not really the right word, but you, you get the opportunity to really put your stamp on it. You know, you, you, there's a lot of avenues you can go down as with all marketing, I suppose there's so many fun, creative things you can do um, with the assets that you're given from the rights holder. When you, when you work on a sponsorship, um, th- those are the fun parts to me. Those are the right reasons to do it and creating great activations for your clients. The, the sport is, is a byproduct. If you're a fan, it helps, but that I wouldn't I wouldn't want to see people get into it just because they want to be in the paddock. Absolutely. And just from a skill perspective, have your creative skills developed with regards to sponsorship? Because you said it's a new machine now. It's not just put a logo on a car or on a helmet or on a shirt. Have your creative juices or vibes elevated in this industry? I'm curious. I think um, because of the change of it, um, you you have to um, move with the times. And, and now when we think of... Um, whether it's a B2C or a B2B brand that we're working with, um, you have to think much more widely um, and look at things like, you know, causes for good partnerships around diversity and inclusion um, alongside whatever team or sport they're sponsoring and, and try and think out of the box and think, right, well, you know, okay, well, that's, that logo is going to get a load of um, TV time, but do we actually care about that as a brand? Do we care more about creating authentic partnerships with our fans through, um, like I say, a partnership with a good cause, doing some uh, local community outreach, 
um, that revolves around whatever sport that we're activating in. Um, are we affecting uh, climate change or sustainability? You know, that there, there are so many avenues to go down outside of the, the traditional glass of champagne in a, in a hospitality box, um, watching your brand go around, around a track on the side of a car. So I just think you have to think much more deeply about it and, and it forces you to, to be creative um, and come up with campaigns and digital activations and, you know, different content concepts um, that, uh, that you can apply to, to whatever rights holder you're working with. Just with regards to um, your inspiration of Motormouth, what inspired you to set that up? So that was um, a few years ago, probably three or four years ago now, roughly, um, I uh, I was attending a bunch of motorsport conferences and one of the, the messages that kept coming out was that digital is lagging behind in, in the motorsport industry. Um, things have changed a lot since then. It's it's nowhere near as, as backwards as it once was. But at that point, even like four years ago, it was. And there, there were one or two companies floating around that were doing things in the digital space and Liberty Media, you know, have gone on to do much more digital stuff in, in Formula One. But I just felt like there was a there was a gap at that time, and I didn't really action it until much later, probably too late. Um, but I, I, I eventually um, managed to raise some funding and, and build an app and a website um, to try and bridge that gap. And we've built Motormouth um, on web, uh, desktop, and and and, a, and an app, which has news and. Um, video and our podcast and live race timings for three, two or three different um, race series. It's going really nicely. And it's, um, it's something that a lot of different companies are doing now. You know, you've got the race media who are huge beast um, that have really let, gone to the forefront of um, motorsport content um, digitally. Um, Autosport and motorsport network have gone a lot more digital with their focus. And, you know, we're trying to carve our own little niche, um, with our, our, our platform, which is the app, the website, the podcast and, and our events division. We touched on your podcast now, like, could you just give a picture to the listener of like what your podcast is all about specifically? It's the easiest way to describe it, and I've got Harry to thank for this description. Is um, it's the it's Piers Piers Morgan life stories in motorsport without Piers Morgan. So it's, it we we interview all sorts of interesting people um, for around an hour, and we talk to them about their life, career, their thoughts and opinions, and. Uh, we often chuck in a quiz. We've got quite a long leaderboard, which is, just adds a bit of fun. But the, but it's it's a deep dive into them and their their life and their personality. I mean, not dissimilar to this. You know, it's it, you try and get beyond the the public persona and and dive into it. And and it's been fascinating. I mean, we had we've had all sorts. We had F one world champions through to transgender drivers and people like Willie T Ribs, who's got a, a show on Netflix called Upper T, which is about his career in motorsport um one of the greatest drivers of all time black driver who experienced racism to a ridiculous degree you know we've had amazing inspiring stories and people opening up like you know rosberg telling us that yeah lacked confidence throughout his entire f1 career felt like an imposter um you know just didn't have any confidence about him at all and you know hearing things like that from an f1 world champion is amazing so it, it's that and and uh we're about 100 and something episodes in and our audience is growing and it's it's great yeah it's it's brilliant fun and the purpose of it really was to drive traffic to the rest of motormouth but it's become its own thing in its own right and it's um it's 
it's gone beyond my expectations by far. And we've got some brilliant sponsors and partners that we've had for a long time that we're very, very grateful to have. That is awesome to hear. And just from a skill perspective, because, okay, I've been doing this for seven years and best decision I've done with this podcast, but people sort of think, oh, I had that seven years, that's nearly, you know, 200 and odd episodes. Like looking back from your experience of starting that podcast, like what skills you've developed, um, how has it improved your communication skills out of interest? Because I think this is more important than, just an actual podcast from a marketing tool it's actually a, for me it's a self-development tool as well being the host so love your thoughts on that from your experience yeah no it's, it's definitely helped um it's definitely helped with confidence it's it's definitely helped me talk to people from all sorts of backgrounds um it's opened my eyes to uh, accepting people who might be different to me it's opened up my eyes to a whole world of um Diversity, I think, because one of the things we've tried to do is include a lot of diverse guests. Um, so I feel much better prepared now to deal with people who historically I may have dismissed or um, not associated with or subconsciously not had as part of my life. Um, and um, it's had so many benefits that I've made friends out of it. I keep in touch with a lot of people that we've had on the show it's opened up a network for me. I've now got an incredible black book, thanks to the podcast, where I can call on anyone from, you know, David Coulthard, Catherine Bonmure, um, various GT drivers, business people. Um, you know, it's, it, the, the opportunity to network through it, as you probably have discovered through yours, is, is amazing. And all, and all of a sudden you think, I, I need to contact this type of person. You think, oh, I've spoke to them three weeks ago. I'll just give them a call. And uh, yes, yeah, so it's opened up all sorts of opportunities um, and, and great experiences and, you know, meeting people like Mario Andretti or, or going to Silverstone and sitting there with Johnny Herbert to talk about his amazing career. And, you know, you just think it's bonkers when you look back at it, you know, Gunter Steiner, one of the legends of Drive to Survive um, and, and boss of the, the Haas F1 team, you know, and seeing a different side to him. It's, it's been a real privilege. Um, I'm, I'm very, I feel very lucky. And I've made, made one of my great mates through it, Harry, who I co-host with. So, you know, from a personal perspective. And it's been great for him. You know, he's, he's just been announced as the new lead commentator on Formula 3. He's got some other major news coming, which I'm not allowed to talk about, which, uh, you know, he's, he's going great guns. He's very young, 24 years old, absolutely smashing it. Yeah, it, it, there is no downside. Now, look, I want to just get to your whole career now in a nutshell. Like, Tim, what have you enjoyed the most from your sports career journey looking back right now? What have I enjoyed most? I think probably um, going out to the Middle East was a big eye opener. I really loved that. And once I got around the fact that I didn't know what I was doing for the first six months um, and started betting in, then um, that became amazing. and you know, learning from people like Richard Cregan, who was the CEO of the track out there. And he was the ex-team principal of the Toyota F1 team. You know, being with him day in, day out was amazing. Going out on my own was terrifying, but amazing. Um, starting Motormouth, doing the podcast has definitely been one of the highlights. Um, and, and I think a personal highlight for me that I've done uh, in recent years was, was our karting event last year, which we're doing again in a couple of weeks time. Um, that was a that was a huge moment, not least because for Harry, it meant an awful lot because we did it for a charity that was very close to his heart because his mum sadly passed away from a, um, a brain tumour a few years ago. And we dedicated that event to her effectively and, and partnered with the brain tumour charity to put on this event that was 
that ended up being way bigger than any of us expected. And we had F1 cars doing demo laps and we had 30 odd celebrities there and influencers and YouTubers and sold out event with members of the public. And it was just nuts. And it, and it was a real like, wow, I feel like we've actually done something big here. Um, made money for charity. We made over 10,000 pounds, which we weren't expecting on the day. And it, it was just a, it was a very wholesome feeling to think, look, look what we've done. You know, this, this is a done with good um, intentions for a good cause that has obviously had benefits for our own brand. Um, but we brought a lot of people together in a single moment that, that it was just very, very special. So I think that was probably one of my, my real highlights. Wow. What a highlight to share out of all the podcasts you've done, all the things you've done. Wow. Love that. Love that a lot. Um, I'm a bit speechless because I think, Sometimes we forget that working in the sports industry isn't about what goes on on a football pitch, on a Formula One racetrack. It's actually what goes off and where it's more purpose-driven projects. So thank you for sharing that specifically. And I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview, Tim. I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. You provided bags of tips, guidance, but actually more like traits as well. But the question is, what three qualities would you give to the listener right now, which they can apply to their sports career development? Feel free to recap a little bit if you'd like, but what are those three core qualities you would give? Well, I'll try not to do the same three that I did earlier. Um, so I, I, I think um, hard work, um, you know, there, there's, there's no replacement for it. I think in an industry like the one I work in, especially it's often long hours, weekends, unsociable hours, I've always stood by hard work. It doesn't necessarily have to mean more hours, but working efficiently and accurately um, and doing it with with detail and empathy for those around you. Probably be daring, depending on what avenue you want to go down, because um, for me, I always knew that I wanted to have flexibility in my work and, and have my own work alongside any consultancy work I do. And I wouldn't have been able to go out and do it on my own without being daring and saying yes to opportunities that I, in my head was don't do it, you know, just stay away from this. But I was like, yes, I'll do it. And then sort of figure it out later. So, so be daring and then small things like just be punctual, be on time. Like that, I can't stand lateness. And that, as soon as someone's late, it just throws me off them. And I, just, it's so easy to be early. There's never an excuse not to be punctual. Um, so, you know, small tactical things like that, which is so easy to do, and there's no excuse for, for not doing. I think um, three that I, I would pick out on top of the, the three that we spoke about earlier. So, yeah, I, th- I think I'll stick with those. I love it. I love the second one with daring. I think that's so important because it puts you out there and you can figure it out later with the details. But also turning up early is vital as well. It makes that first impression. So, look, how can people interact with you, Tim, online? Okay, so website-wise, motormouth.club for um, our community, and you can find links to our app through there. Um, And uh, if you want the podcast, um, just search for the Motormouth podcast. You'll find us, um, and and just search Motormouth on all social media channels. Um, Consultancy-wise, writeformula.com. If you're a big brand out there looking for someone to partner with um, to do your, your sponsorship activation. And if you need a bar for your wedding, Sylvian Squires. Um, just come and find us and, um, and you can take Sybil, our horse box and a couple of bar staff for your, your next event. Um, and, and obviously LinkedIn, just Tim Sylvie, if people want to come and chat, there's not many Tim Sylvies, um, on LinkedIn. So, um, there's me and a guy in the States, um, 
who's he's an oil or something um so um feel free to connect with me there that is great to all the listeners listening in all those links will be on my website with regards to this podcast chat tim it's been a joy chatting with you today thank you very much thanks ed what a brilliant podcast chat with tim i hope you've got a better understanding firstly with regards to today's podcast topic a great overview of what it's like to work in motorsports but particularly in f1 and the sort of qualities and traits you need to work in that sector of the sports industry which is extremely popular but i hope you've just got a flavor of an understanding of what it really takes now getting to learning from tim oh my goodness there's so much i learned i think the biggest aspect that i've learned from tim was his explanation of being daring and what you do particularly from a case study perspective of that 2012 experience of when he just said i just said yes where initially he said no internally his internal voice but he went with the yes and he said he'll just figure it out in that moment i think that's what it's all about sometimes in the sports industry from my experience as well you can do all the learning, you can do all the studying, but actually the best learning comes when you do the doing. And I just hope you can take away that sometimes putting yourself out there. That's where the real magic happens when you build your experiences, make mistakes and learn from them, but also get the fulfillment. And when you achieve something like with a project like that, with 50 staff in a short period of time, it just catapults you with regards to actually getting the reps in as well. I think the biggest thing also I learned from that case study is how it kept him like grounded with a similar experience. He already had that past experience to reflect on so he can stay composed in the moment uh, without buckling under that pressure, if that makes sense. So I really enjoyed that case study a lot, but I hope you've got a better overview as well. If you want to pursue a career in sponsorship, a good flavor of that side of things as well like i've had a fair few experts on sponsorship and it's a subject i always find interesting with curiosity all the time because it's such a big revenue stream in sport so understanding sponsorship i hope you learned a lot from tim's experience of like sponsorship isn't just what putting a logo on a shirt now or on a helmet there's a lot more to it than that with regards to the different activations and the different fulfillments of that sponsorship package or the sponsorship process so look i really really do hope you enjoyed this as much as i did and right at the end put in tim's sort of tips into practice with regards to what you want to do and what you want to achieve in the sports industry so on that note put one of tim's learning lessons into practice right now and make it happen now as always at the end of each podcast episode i'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker tim said there is no replacement for hard work and be daring on what you want to do and achieve. 